Hello and welcome to the Lanka Guys. This is a surprise. Is it? We are not surprising at all because we've been doing it for seven years every week. Yeah, honestly, it's one of the least surprising things <laughs> out there. Hey, surprise! Surprise! We're doing We're the thing that we do all the time. Every Thursday. Without entering, enter it in, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Where I were you going there? I, I have no idea. I was just there was some place. No, uh, yeah, without cool. I was gonna say maybe without. Well, no, this I without was gonna fail? I- improvise because there's been fail. I was gonna say without anything interesting, but then but that didn't make well, sense. So I censored nice. myself, <laughs> and then I dragged it out of you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. This is our dynamic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you try to be prudent, and I try to undo it. Uh, yeah, and and I try to interrupt interrupt you. You were teaching a class so enthusiastically yesterday, <laughs> and I could hear him. It was like Scott yeah. and and his computer and the church basement. Yeah. And there were yeah. uh, there were people on the computer. On, on the computer, the people are in the com- in the computer. Home, oh, that's a good. <laughs> that's an imp- applicable. Yeah, poll. yeah. And uh, and so then he was talking about like the wilderness, and so I was doing a wilderness dance, and which I'm happy that you translated it to me later, because now I see it. I thought you were just yeah, because I mean I was acting like a total utter buffoon because you were so in the zone and trying to make your point and all I wanted to do was derail you in front of other people but you but you persisted you didn't even you gave me zero acknowledgement and so I've trained myself I've steeled myself to um to not be affected by the distraction well I saw it I registered it I acknowledged it in my heart but then I taught on. You teach on. Teach on. Teach on. Teach a man. Let the, let the, keep the band playing while the Titanic goes down. That's right. Oh, jeez. That turned dark. <laughs> uh, I have a shout out. What? We haven't done that in years. Uh, that's not at all true. <laughs> uh, but my shout out, um, I want to give a shout out to Joseph and Crystal Gruber, who are, I don't know if you know the Grubers or not, not the Grubers in Bolt, not the Boulder Grubers, this is the Michigan Grubers, and the Grubers are Focus Parish Missionaries out in Michigan, so um, they're doing the the life and the mission and the work of Focus on the parish level, which is really cool. Dude, that's awesome. But they have a podcast called uh, The Outpost, um, or the word from the a word from our outpost, which is really cool. It's them, the husband and wife, talking about different issues and things that come up in the church, uh, and I was honored to be on their show yesterday, which oh, I think cool. just dropped this morning, so we're talking about scripture and kind I'm talking about what we do, and it was a lot of fun. So please, if you haven't checked out their podcast, uh, A Word From Our Outpost, check it out. Um, Joseph and Crystal Gruber, they are super, super cool. So shout out to those guys. Sweet. That's the best. Yeah. We are in the 26th Sunday, an ordinary time. You did a great job of enunciating each of those consonants. Did I tell you the story about when I uh, the the wedding I did? Did I ever tell you? I did a a wedding, and um, I was sitting at a table, with some Reasonable. people who I had no idea. Because when you're a priest and you go to the reception, you're never sure. You're most likely going to be at the parents' table oh, or tough. or the religious table. Where do you put the priest? Where do you put the priest? Yeah. Okay. If I had a recommendation for any of you. This is great. This is, like, I bet a lot of people if you, would. If you have a wedding and you and you invite your priest, um, think about who the priest hangs out with in general and sit him perhaps with those people. Which like, is in general good. a good rule of thumb for anybody. Right, right. It's it's good to do that, but it, it's also good to sit him with the parents. It's it's um especially if it's you're a trying little to bit more your parents. Yeah, if you, it's a little bit more work for the priest, but you could always have you know a question like what would be fun. That's it, why you make the big bucks. Right, and so you so you and and actually I've had some really fun tables recently because I'm getting older, so <laughs> <laughs> hanging with the parents is actually more like my peers now, yeah. which is really weird. But 
So 26 Sunday in Ordinary Time, um, our first reading is from Zeke, uh, Zeke, chapter 18 to 25 to 28. That is Ezekiel, for those of you not in the know. Our um, responsorial yep. psalm. Hey, that's our bread and butter. <laughs> Ezekiel bread. Ezekiel bread. Nice. Do you know Ezekiel bread is actually a punishment in the book of Ezekiel? Yeah. For all of you who get Ezekiel bread regularly, just know it's a punishment for God. <laughs> I'll leave that there. <laughs> the kids right now that are listening with their Eating parents, their, it's in, their mouth is full of Ezekiel bread. They're like, they're like, I told you, <laughs> revolt. All right, Psalm twenty-five is our responsorial psalm, verses four to five, six to seven, eight to nine, and the response itself is coming from six a. Our second reading has two options: a long and a short. Um, Which do you think we're going to choose? The short. So, um, so oh, the Peter. the Philippians. Uh, this is a reading from the Philippians to the Philippians, and it's nope, uh, chapter 2, true. verses 1 to 11. That's inaccurate. I'm sorry. I was being flippant about how I was you saying You were. Things. It's from St. Paul to the Philippians, not the I Philippians know, to the Philippians. I know. Come on, man. <laughs> Gotta get accurate. Speaking of heresy, uh, that's not a heresy. Uh, my hair, you see, it's... Oh, nice. Yeah. Well done. All right. Our gospel is coming from Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 34. Do you hear my diction? Uh, is it 28 to 32 or 34? What did I say? You said 28 to 34. I said 32. I wonder why I said that. 28 through 32. I don't know why I put a four. Um, That's I, weird. I don't know. That mm. Wow. Mm. Subconsciously. But why? I got to go to... You got you have two extra verses in your life that you have to deal with. That I have to deal with. I should read those two extra verses and see what God yeah. is saying to me through them. What is God saying to you through them? The book of Ezekiel. We have talked about Here the book another of Ezekiel. Parable. There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press and built a tower, leased to tenants in another country. It's the next parable. It's the next vineyard parable. We're in the, the neighborhood of vineyard parables in this part of Matthew. <laughs> Which, by the way, California is is struggling because most of the grapes are going to oh. smell like, oh. are, are going to have smoke taste. And so they're like having to do like grape smoke mitigation because it turns the the stuff like fecal plastic is what somebody described the Gross. wine that comes from smoke grapes. Oh, I had never thought about that. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of people's livelihoods. Well, um hopefully the fires will end soon. Yep, so Ezekiel, uh the context of Ezekiel, of course, which we I feel like Ezekiel was the first reading a few weeks back. And so we talked a little bit Ezekiel uh, has a very unique place among the major prophets, the major prophets being Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, which major meaning they're the biggest ones. And Ezekiel, he's talking about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking about the exile, but he's watching it from a different point of view. So Isaiah and Jeremiah tell the story basically as insiders. They see what's happening on the ground. Ezekiel was taken off into, into the exile, into Babylon early on in the sacking of Jerusalem. And so he gets a supernatural view back on what's going on back home. So that's that's what's unique about Ezekiel's vision on things. And as he's going through, he's trying to unpack God's point of view toward all of these terrible things that are happening in life. And so it, it's I think it's a really important prophetic book for our times as we're watching, again, a lot of really troubling, hard, disturbing, suffering things happen happening in our world, we need someone like Ezekiel to try to tap us into what's God's point of view on these things. And the part that we get today in chapter 18, um, it's a very important chapter that's dealing with a question that Jesus is going to, I think there's actually a pretty clear line that goes through these readings. We haven't really talked about this yet. Um, but there, there's two things that chapter 18 is doing. Basically, the, the main thing it's doing is 
it's kind of a uh, parallel to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And Deuteronomy 30 was that whole famous passage as Israel is entering into the promised land that God challenged them, choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose life or choose death. Choose the way of righteousness or the way of wickedness. What are you going to do? And the problem that they're having in the time of Ezekiel with dealing with this question is... Um, Basically, there's this line in there that says this idea that our fathers have sinned, the people who came before us have sinned, so the children's teeth are on edge, right? So this is the idea that the children are paying for the sins of their parents. And this is uh, a sort of fatalism that Israel is falling into, that all these terrible things are happening, things really stink. It's because of all of these sins that the, the previous kings and our parents and our fathers, they've all abandoned God, they've all broken the covenants, they've all done these terrible things, and so now we are all completely hosed. We are done for, and there is a fatalistic reality to it. And so what Ezekiel has to do is sort of shake them out of this idea and say, no, you have your own choice. You need to make a decision. That, that's all true. And it's not that we should just wash that all away and say, no, everything is fine. Don't worry about it. No, severe sin has happened, and we reap the consequences of sin that has come before us. Our parents who have sinned, our people who have come before us, in the Catholic Church, priests who came before you sinned, and we have to deal with the consequences. But what Ezekiel is saying is, don't fall into a fatalism over that. And don't say, well, I guess that's that. Say, we have in every single generation, in every single day of our lives, and Jesus is going to take it even further, we have a choice to make whether you choose life or death, choose righteousness or wickedness, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the plate that you've been given, regardless of what your parents did before you or the kings did before you in this case, you choose life or death. And when this is set before you, God is giving us this invitation to come to him. And that's what they're dealing with here. What I like, what I like, so essentially the the, what, the section we get today in Ezekiel. Yeah, that's, is, I gave is, you the setup for right. what, because we don't is exactly the, get that here. Is the distilled moral from the concrete examples that he gives in the chapter before. It, yeah, yeah, my, my, yeah, that's, that's reasonable. What I, within the chapter before, what I think is really funny, my favorite example though, is, is when he looks and he says, he says, if you see your dad and your dad is sinning and it's really bad, and you do right because your dad is such a bad example, then you don't have to deal with your dad's stuff. Right. You're free of right. your dad's you're, stuff. You're free. Right. And and I just I just like that because it's yeah. it's so it feels so contemporary. Like do yeah. as I do as I say, not as I do. And you're like, dude, I'm not gonna do what you do, do. Yeah, it, it's it's such a funny thing though because elsewhere it's. This is where we're where we have to acknowledge that Ezekiel is dealing with a specific problem, because in elsewhere in the prophets, I'm thinking of Isaiah. Um, there is sometimes a temptation to do the opposite, and actually, the, in Jesus's time, there's a temptation to do the opposite of say, "Well, your sin is your business. Your thing is your thing. It's not my problem that you've sinned." And what Ezekiel, what actually, if you put all the readings together. They're asking us to kind of walk this tightrope of, no, I need to feel the weight of the sins of the people around me. Because in the Catholic tradition, no sin is merely a personal sin. There's no such thing as a strictly personal sin. The thing that we do affects the body of Christ, right? However, we are not bound by the guilt of someone who came before, right? right. And, that, and that's where the balance is. The right. Pharisees are the ones who say stuff like, well, thank goodness I'm not like that person. Thank goodness I don't have that problem, which is a washing of their hands of the sin of the world, right. which we are not called to do. But we are also not bound by those things and say, well, gee, like you're saying, that's not on you. 
you're still bound to those people. Your father is still your problem in a certain sense, but his sin is not. And right. we can be free of those things and we get to choose. And again, this is the, the principle that's being laid out in Ezekiel. Jesus then kind of puts flesh on in a certain sense. And he shows what it means in, in a very practical way. But the response that we kind of get in Ezekiel is that you guys are saying the Lord's way is not fair, right? It's not fair that we should have be responsible for these people who have come before us, right? And God says, now hear house of Israel. It is not my way that's unfair, but rather it's your ways that are unfair. When someone virtuous turns away from virtue and commits inequity and dies, it's because of the iniquity he committed that he must die. But if he turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is right and just, he'll preserve his life. Since he has turned away from the sins that he's committed, he shall surely live and not die. In other words, not only is there not a fatalism on you because of what happened before you, but even you or your father or whoever it is before, no matter what the sin is, all they have to, God is preparing his people for the mercy that's going to be revealed explicitly in Jesus Christ, which tells us it doesn't matter what you've done. There is God's mercies are new every morning. There is always the opportunity. So the choose life and death, it's not just one moment in Deuteronomy as they're about to enter the promised land that is just once for all. The moment of choose life or death from Deuteronomy is a moment to moment choice that we're all given from this moment to the next moment. You screwed up last week. You screwed up an hour ago. Choose this moment. Choose this day to turn away from wickedness. And guess what? God is going to restore you. He's going to bring you back and he's going to restore everything around you. It's a, it's a really beautiful, um, it's a beautiful passage in a particular way for, and I'm, I'm sure we have listeners who um, maybe your parents, maybe your children, maybe we have parents who are agonizing over their children who've stopped going to mass or who've stopped practicing the faith or who are walking far from God. And we want to think, oh my gosh, I did this. I blew it because my children are sinning. Or we have children whose parents are far from the church and they say, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my parents? And how did this happen? And and there's a sense of, again, who say free, I did it. That was me. That's me. This is my fault. And the scriptures are saying, no, you get to be free. You get to be free. And if your children are far from me, you can pray for them. And there is a new opportunity every single moment that I'm going to keep offering them. But you get to be free of the guilt of that. And simultaneously, you know, if you're the child and you feel guilty over the sins of the parents, you get to be free of that. We're still stuck with each other. And that's kind of the, the again, the tightrope of this passage. But because of who God is, we can live in a freedom. We can live in the life. We can live in the light of this. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I kept on looking at the, um, the idea of... Uh, Fairness, because fairness, and that's what yeah. It's interesting because fairness is like kind of a universal virtue in all cultures. Like, like every culture of all time has this idea of fairness. Yeah. It's I, and I actually kind of like the the translation because it, it kind of gets at something inside of us. The word itself, though, is actually a little bit different. Yeah, I wondered about that, and I wondered if you had looked it up. Yeah, it's it's actually more like a guide or direct or make straight like. So listen to it in this little different way. It says, the Lord's way is not a good guide. Hear now, Israel, is it my way that's not a good guide or is it your ways that are not a good guide? Oh, interesting. Like, like it's it's the straight edge. It's it's, it's saying like, it's like actually how do we find a way to live Mm. rightly? And so, so fairness is an interesting idea. It's a path. It's a road that we must travel. Exactly. That's why I like the word way. Because right. in Greek, it's hodos, which is 
literally a road or a path that you trod. And that's where it's like huh. the, the Lord's way is not a good guide. And you're like, oh, as, as if because it, because it's hard. It's funny because it's saying like, no, we are connected and we're independent. It's like you don't get to just be in victim mindset. Right, we, but, right, right. Yes. You don't get to be in victim mindset and you actually don't get to just detach yourself. Absolutely. Right. And this is the. And this is why it's like. This is the tightrope, right? This is a tightrope where we're saying. And this is why way or road is actually an apt analogy because this way is difficult. And if you veer or or stray one way or another, you're going to find yourself in the ditch. Either you karate yes or you karate no. Amen to that. You karate so so squished like grape. Either you drive. Yeah. Either you drive on the left side of the road or on the right side of the road. You drive in the center of the road like grape, you know? Mm. Yes. Like, it's profound. You know, it's like either, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> that's good. But, 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 Keep that, going. but that's actually where like, uh, yeah. um, I like the idea and the kind of the, some of the stuff that I'm starting to see that connects mm. is how we're thinking about things. Because really at the core of this, of this first reading is, is like, how are we making judgments about what God is doing? So what is our thinking around this? And I'm actually going to, I want to point it out because I think you actually have another set of connections, perhaps. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll see. We'll see. Or or maybe I've actually just adjusted your brain so much to connect all of these readings together with my own ideas. We'll find out, won't we? Okay, so then we go to um, Psalm 25. Psalm 25, which is a Psalm of David. And it's believed that, uh, so, so this, is a, this is a prayer where the psalmist, so presumably David, or someone in, in, in the, the memory of David, is, is praying for God's mercies specifically when he's coming under attack or being falsely accused of something. It's, it's a prayer that the king prays when he is being bad-mouthed by someone, which I think actually fits fairly perfectly into this. Yeah. Because there's not the idea of the fatalism of like, God, remember your mercies, make your ways known to me, teach me your paths. There's that idea of path or road or way, right? Guide me because you're my savior. So in other, in other words, um, oh, and we'll look at the next uh, strophe. Remember your compassion, O Lord, and your love are from old. The sins of my youth and my frailties remember not. In your kindness, remember me because of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. He shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice, teaches the humble his way. So this is a prayer that, again, traditionally is being prayed as the king is under false attack by accusers. And what does he take that occasion to do but recall his own sin and say, no, but I know who God is and I know his mercy is real. And so even my sins, I can actually be free of. And I don't have to be afraid of everything else that's out there and my false accusers and all of these threats from out there because your paths are the ones that I want to follow. Mm. This is the way. And this is, again, where Deuteronomy is the underlying theme to this because Deuteronomy 30 is is literally talking about follow the path in between, you know, th- these these two ways. As Israel was entering into the promised land, what happened in Deuteronomy 30, I should have said this at the beginning. But- in Deuteronomy 30, do you remember the context? As they're about to enter the promised land, basically representatives of Israel will go on these two mountains. There was Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim in between this valley called Shechem. Shechem means shoulder. Did they did they do like a like taste great, less filling kind of thing? It was a taste great, less filling kind of a thing, <laughs> except with 
with death and life. Oh, but okay. half of Israel would go up on one mountain and be like, if you do all these things, this is how God will bless you. He'll give you land and he'll give you blessing and all the stuff. Tastes and then great. everybody else was on the other side of the hill and saying, but if you're unfaithful, if you break God's covenants, if you turn your back on him, here's all the consequences. And so as Israel, basically, yeah. and you'll go into exile and you'll have fam- you know, all these terrible things that we see Israel experience throughout the course of the rest of the Old Testament, but they're walking in a path in between these two choices, being told in this Who dramatic organized way, that? Moses did. Moses was I like, think, jo- or Joshua. Moses Joshua, Joshua was like, I okay, this, I got this idea. Why don't but you guys go up over here and you guys go up over here? And but do you, we're gonna walk have we talked it. about the geography of this? Have we talked about this concept? So Mount yeah. Ebal, which is the one where they yelled all the curses if they're unfaithful, was, was dry barren. and dead, barren and desolate. And Mount Gerizim, because of its its uh, orientation toward the winds that came off the Mediterranean, was lush and fertile and beautiful and green. And so, I mean, there was this very visual representation as they're going in between this valley of like, oh, that's not good. Oh, that's really beautiful and, and life-giving and everything else. I think you need to do this at Camp Waitiwa. I have to find the right mountains. I mean, there's plenty of them. Well, there are mountains, but I don't know if there's anything that dramatic as far as I mean, we you could find vegetation. It. You could find some vegetation. I'll, I'll work on it. Okay, I'll get on that. Okay, um, but but that that's what I'm hearing again, kind of in David's voice. Guide me in your truth on your paths. Teach me your paths as I as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You you're there's always these choices on both sides, but trying to pull us one way or another. And this right. is this very visual representation of it. That's what David's saying. Guide me. Because right. it's not just about our choices. It's not just about, okay, am I gonna make the right choice or the wrong choice? It's about saying there's a lot of different choices and a lot of them could mess me up pretty badly. So God, you show me, you guide me. I don't want to just look on my right and my left constantly with the threat and the blessing and all the different possibilities. I want to look ahead and I want to look at you because your path and your guidance are the only thing that's going to bring me to life. And that's, and that's why they give us the, the strophes they do. Yeah, it yeah, says, right. teach me your paths to begin it yeah. and then to end it, teach me, teach the humble the way. The way, yeah. Show the sinners the way. Way, and know? what like, way does the humble follow the way that's not of themselves, not simply of their own choices and decision making and empowerment and everything else? It's following the one who leads you. That is the humble thing to do. So right. there's lots of things I want to do. There's lots of decisions I want to make. But my job as a Christian is to follow where Jesus leads me. Find Jesus and follow him. You meant to lead us into the Philippians with that, didn't you? I didn't you? at all. Because the, no, the, I didn't. Because like, talk about... So, okay, so I'm looking at Philippians. This is the great canonic hymn. Yes, like, right. Like, kenosis means self-emptying, the, the, yep. the self-emptying. Um, and so what happens is that we, we have kind of, we have this lead-in. And I, okay, so Scott, I had this kind of revelation as I was reading this today. Because I've read the canonic hymn many, many times. Yeah. And I love it. I find it very beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there's this framing that St. Paul uses that is such an interesting way to frame it. Okay. He says, um, he says, um, okay, let me, let me get here. Are you um, going beyond what's in our reading this week? Or, no, or just, no. Just I, I'm just starting in verse five. This is, can I just say really quick, what's wonderful about this for me is that... <laughs> We always talk about context, context, context. This is one of the few occasions in which the real meat of this reading is actually given a context. 
beforehand. Right. And Paul explains why he is going to give this canonic hymn. Exactly. Which we don't usually get. That's where we have to put in the work. But this one is given to us. Right. Which which leads us into this thing. It says, if there's any encouragement, any solace, love, participation in the spirit, which is interesting because we got parakletos, which is encouragement. And then you've got the spirit. Parakaleo means literally to walk next to. Right. And compassion, mercy, and complete my joy. Wow. By being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Okay, so what what's happening is is actually Saint Paul is is in a um, in a not a terribly veiled but a but a but a subconscious way establishing a trinitarian theology here absolutely so we're saying okay here's participation in the spirit the parakletos compassion mercy agape love um heart uni- unity uh, and like seeing the father son holy spirit actually put together so then he's saying don't do anything out of selfishness or vainglory but humbly regard others more important than yourselves this is interesting, each not looking out for his own interests, mm-hmm. but for everyone, for those of others. Okay, so this is where verse five makes such a difference for me when I'm reading the, 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 the hymn, because St. Paul is trying to get us into a new mindset. Yes. Literally. Okay. He says, have amongst yourselves. The mind of Christ. Right. Yeah. Have this mind among yourselves. This is the RSV versus the New American says, have among yourselves the same attitude. Right, that is, right. which is what you'll is, hear in Mass, at right. least in the United States. This is, that is also yours in Christ Jesus, or the RSV. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Uh-huh. This is the mind of Christ Jesus. And so what I'm about to do is I'm, I'm going to actually have you consider that you are about to put on the canonic hymn yourself. Uh-huh. The canonic hymn is actually about how to have the mind of Christ. Right. Because you start to get into it and you're looking, though he was in the form of God, okay, what are we, t- like, he's existing, he has an existence that it persists uh-huh. um, in the heart of, in the form of God, but then he take the form of a slave. So which form are we, the morphos? Like, yeah. And so a form of God, what does that mean? And then the form of slave. And, and, and for me, I'm looking at that and I'm going, oh, this is because what we're actually meant to be doing is picturing ourselves in the mind of Christ because we've been baptized, initiated fully into him. Right. So what we can't do is read what Paul is saying is, oh, he just looked like God or he just looked like a slave. No, what it's saying, regardless of of the language and and the way we hear it, he is God and he did become a human being who was like a slave. Right. But yeah, so don't misunderstand Paul there. And and if you actually read it in the Greek, he uses so many H's. I mean, it, it's it's really it's a funny thing because I was like trying to read it as poetry because I'm like it's a it's a song it's the canonic hymn we actually sing this so he yeah, he right. kind of he kind of yeah. breaks out and he writes some lines of poetry and he's it's a, like a Broadway musical right. when you just break <laughs> into song exactly Pray God just as less than each other yeah that's not the right words nope come on. <laughs> Yes. So I, I just I just love it. And but that that's exactly why we're saying like, okay, now when we read this, it helps us to understand that this is the perspective that we've been engaged in because Jesus Christ, we've though he were were actually established in the image and likeness of God, right. 
having our had our natures elevated to be with like Christ. So now, even though that we're these, this elevated, beautiful reality united with Christ in the Trinitarian life, which we are being encouraged into, mm. what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to get full of it right. and say like, look how awesome we are, because right. we're talking about the, the, the Philippians, right. which we were talking about the context just last week. Which is very important, I think. Which is very important. But to say, no, guess what? We're still of service. In fact, that's actually the, the primary thing is we're, we're trying to put on the mind of the other and the mind of God in this simultaneously, simultaneous moment to take on the yoke of Christ, to love God above everything and our neighbors ourselves. Well, the, absolutely. Um, but there, there's two things I just want to mention here. There's one at the beginning of this and one at the end of this, actually both of which fall out of the purview of this section of reading we get. Um, but right as Paul's setting this up, um, knowing that the Philippians, this is a retired military community. That's that's predominantly who lives in Philippi, or at least how it was settled. Um, what Paul says right before this, as he's setting you up for the canonic hymn, he says, uh, and we talked about this last week, only citizen yourself in a manner of life worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come or see you or am, am absent, I may hear that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents, which he kind of reiterates here in chapter two. That was in chapter one. But when I hear that, uh, I think of a, a military strategy that was huge among the Romans that was developed, I think, by the Greeks of the phalanx. Have you seen the phalanx before? Have we talked Absolutely, about this? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's what would be evoked in the memory of retired military members of the Roman army. A phalanx was this idea that you have this, these pods of soldiers, all of whom have a giant spear and a giant shield that is way too big for themselves. And the idea was you'd have your shield that covered yourself and basically half of the guy next to you. And he would have his that covered himself and half of the guy next to him. And they would surround each other and basically create this um, fortress. Ar armored pod. It's like a tank. armored pod. But it only works if you're standing side by side in one mind, in one spirit, united with each other, side by side, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Because as soon as one person says, I'm going to be the hero and I'm going to charge ahead, the pod is broken and you actually lose it. Or as somebody... As soon as somebody says, I'm terrified and I'm going to shrink away in fear, the pot is broken and you're vulnerable and you're left hanging out there for all sorts of attack from the enemy. Paul is saying that strategy that made the Roman Empire the most powerful military on the face of the earth, you need to translate into the body of Christ. Into the Trinitarian life. Right. And live that. That requires a humility. It requires you to understand obedience. an obedience and a humility. You obey, you move forward under the direction of your commander, who is Jesus, and you do not put yourself as better than someone else. You count yourself as less than because you understand the risk. You understand the consequences if, this, if you break this. And I feel like that's where we don't always translate to the spiritual life. We don't see the analogy enough of, Father Peter, I need you and I need you standing side by side me in the fight that is the spiritual battle that we live in, or else I'm going to be left vulnerable for attack from the evil one. We don't see each other as the people standing beside us at mass and the people with us in the body of Christ saying, you have to have my back or else I'm going to be left vulnerable. Now, we do see it in one, in one area in the church with our bishops. We should. We should. I don't. We don't always. I mean, I think, think of that, that way. Uh, but uh, I mean, but we but, need to. Like, yeah. Because well, I mean, I think that the politics of the particular age about yeah. you know some priests are like going way out 
and say and and like this is so hard because right, r- right now there's right. there's this balance of saying like no I'm going to be obedient unto death which yeah. is so hard because we need our leaders and our are the commanders of us yeah. to yeah. to yeah. actually have united hearts and minds and we exist in a time where it doesn't it, it's it's not that way right there Absolutely. is there is division right and and right. and and what's hard is that we're saying like Okay, well then, how do we actually rediscover what does it look like? And then we we go to Orthodox teaching, and we go to try to figure out it, it, it's it, try to ha- and and this is where it becomes hard, and we feel vulnerable as a, as, a, as the Catholic faithful. Absolutely right. Or, or Absolutely. we look around in the pews, and we're saying like, how do we actually have one heart and one mind right now when everything feels so politically divided? Absolutely right. And and this is where Saint Paul is saying. No, we go back to Christ. Right. We look to Jesus right. who he served even unto death, even though he was exalted beyond anything. He had all of the he had all the goods. Yeah. And that's where where we're looking at Ezekiel and we're saying like, no, just because my brother sins doesn't mean I sin. Right. Right. Exactly and, right. But just but but I'm still bound to my brother and we're right. meant to form the phalanx. Right. And and he takes what Ezekiel well, he doesn't take well. I think he does. I, I want to say he takes it further. I don't know if he takes it further or not, or if it just became more clear to me when Paul said it. But on the other end of the canonic hymn, he basically tells you what real sin looks like. He tells you in chapter three, I believe, how to make yourself an enemy of the cross of Christ. And he says, there are some among you, there are some people that have made themselves enemies of Jesus' cross. And do you remember how he says you become an enemy of the cross? He says, you make your God your belly. You give in to your desires. It's not, you know, you don't need to spit on a crucifix to become an enemy of the cross of Christ. You need to give in to your comforts. You need to give in to your appetites. You need to give in to the desires of your belly. Paul says that is how we lose it, which is, which is a, di- I mean, you know, we, 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 at least I do, I think about sin kind of in the abstract in the first reading. And I think of idolatry and, you know, the evils of the kings and, and, uh, you know, multiple wives and all the terrible things you read about in the first reading. And then Paul makes it like, yeah, those are sins. That's a big deal. But all you got to do is make your God your belly. Because as soon as you make your God your belly, you're going to look out for your comfort and your safety and you as priority number one rather than your brother, who you were called to sacrifice yourself for or your sister. And you will not self-empty. You will not deny yourself. You will not look like Christ anymore. As soon as your God starts to become something other than God, which is your appetites, your desires, your comfort, and your own safety. And that's where, again, the sort of abstract sin of the Old Testament of like old, all these terrible things, which are really bad. Paul's like, yeah, it's not as distant as all that. It's actually something that you are very vulnerable to, which is why you need your phalanx. Put your shield up and let your brother and sister have their shield next to you and move forward. Listen to your commander. Look to Jesus. Look to your leaders. Look to your bishops. Do not look out for yourself. That is how you choose life or death. That is how you discern through the way of wickedness and the way of life. You follow where Jesus leads you. Right. And again, so, um, yeah, which I think takes us to the, to the, to the Matthew, to the gospel. To the Matthew, Matthew gospel. To the Matthew, to the Matthew. Yeah. Oh, man, which is, which is this question. Are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? Yes. Are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? And the answer is messy. It's messy because you're <laughs> That's like. That's what I love about and it. And you're like, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. Well, the con- I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm not going to do it. 
Okay, this is another place where the context is really important, I think, though. If you read kind of uh, kind of just before what happens to this, again, this none of this stuff happens in a void, right? So just prior to this, Jesus has come into Jerusalem for Palm Sunday. The Palm Sunday narrative has happened. He has gone to the temple. He has cleansed the temple. He's flipped over the tables. All the doves are flying around. Money changers, coins are going everywhere. Everything's crazy. He's cursed the fig tree. He is starting into the going head to head with the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the time. And so as he's doing all these things and doing these big prophetic signs and teaching people, right before this, the uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they come to him and they ask him, by whose authority are you doing this stuff? Who do you think you are? Do you remember that scene? Yeah. By whose authority do you do these things? And Jesus, I, I don't mean to, well, I do, but it's funny. Jesus says in reply, I'll answer you, but you got to answer me a question first. Riddle Riddle me me this, this, Riddler. Which is a very rabbinic thing to do. And he says, all right, I'll I'll tell you if you tell me. Where was John's baptism from? Was it of heavenly origin or human origin? And the Pharisees and the the religious leaders, they discussed among themselves. They're like, oh, shoot. He kind of trapped us. If we say that John the Baptist was doing something divine, he was doing something of heavenly origin, then they'll be like, well, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you repent? Why didn't you follow John the Baptist? Right. But if we say, oh, it was only human, then the crowd is going to flip out because they all think John the Baptist is a prophet. So they say to Jesus the very heroic and courageous answer of, we uh, don't know. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> and Jesus yeah. is like, cool, I'm not going to tell you then. Yeah, like, <laughs> And that is exactly what happened just before. That's what prompts Jesus to say this. And he says, all right, what's your opinion? A man had two sons. The first one, uh, he came to the first and he said, son, go out and work in the vineyard. We already talked last week about how the vineyard in the Bible is always sort of a metaphor for Israel, for the people of God, who God is growing. Um, son, go out and work in the vineyard. He's like, no, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and then he went. And then a man came, he came to the other son and he gave the same order. And he said, yes, sir, I will go. But he didn't go. So which of the two did the father's will? Now, he knows the Pharisees and the religious leaders are standing around, but I don't think he's talking to them anymore. I think he's now turned to the people. And he wants them to hear exactly what he says. And the people are all like, the first one. And Jesus said, amen to you. And this is where I I think and I wonder if now he turns back to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And he says, you know what? Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are all coming into the kingdom of heaven before you. Oh, religious leaders and Sanhedrin and those who think they have authority, they're coming before you. John came. He's like, the question I just asked is not unrelated to this. Because John the Baptist, cousin John, came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they sure did. And even when you saw it, you didn't even later change your mind and believe in him. The word of the Lord. (laughs) uh, But what he's saying is, look, there's a whole lot of people that I am with. I'm gathered with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, these sinners that actually knew what they were supposed to do. We've all received the law. We all received the commandments. We all had the Torah. We were all raised going to synagogue. And they said no. But then something changed. And they realized because of what John the Baptist said and now what Jesus is saying No, maybe I'm not bound to the decisions I made in the past. Maybe I'm not bound to all of those sins that sort of enslaved me. Maybe I can make a new choice today. And Jesus is like, they're coming into the kingdom first. You all said, religious leaders, Sanhedrin, scribes, Pharisees, you all said yes. You're like, no, we're full in. We're all in. But I don't want those people. And I don't want anything to do with their sin. And they are lost. And we are better than them. And you're giving into your own sin. And now the truth is actually literally the, the path of life or death is standing in front of you. Life is literally talking to you. 
the way, the truth, and the life is having a conversation with you, and you are rejecting him because of all sorts of reasons, mainly your own pride, your own unwillingness to sacrifice yourself and say, maybe I don't understand the ways of God as much as I thought I did. And he's calling out the hypocrisy of their pride and the fact that they have no willingness to go through the canonic hymn, which in a certain sense, I have to believe the tax collectors and, and, and prostitutes did. Look at Matthew. Look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus goes through a little canonic hymn, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, I will lower myself. I'm going to return everything tenfold. I'm going to go and make it right. I will humble myself. I'm not as great as I've made everybody believe. I'm a sinner and I will own it and I will humble myself so that I can be glorified in the kingdom. Now, the beauty of the story, of course, is that we know later on, we know kind of how this ends. We know that there are other members of the Sanhedrin. I think the Sanhedrin. We know that there are other Pharisees. We know there's other religious leaders that eventually do say, oh, yeah, no, we see it. And it's not too late for them either. But there's a there's a reckoning that needs to happen. This is Jesus's own version of Deuteronomy 30 and Ezekiel, where he's like, choose now. Choose this day. Is it life or death? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the connection I'm seeing. Yeah, and and you know what I like I like about it too. Nope, is I'm totally stubborn and like <laughs> I'm the I'm the kid who says because no. you're a religious leader. <laughs> it's good. Oh. Well, you are, but I'm not, that that came yeah. out. That was no, hard. no. I'm stubborn and all, and like I can have a tendency to say no. Yeah, but I'm melancholic enough that I'm always gonna like ask this question. Right. Did I just do the right thing? Right. Did I say the right thing? Was that messed up? And like, and like, and that kind of uh, opportunity to say, you know what, I'm actually going to think about this. Am I in of one mind? Am I, am I like mm. actually trying to pour myself out or did I just knee jerk because I'm super emotional? Like it's true. And like, and like, and, and the mercy of God in the middle of this to say like, you said, no, just pull up. That's cool. Right. And, and who did the, who did the will of the father? And you're like, oh, okay. And you're like, good. I have an out. Well, and it's who did the will of the Father, not me. Okay, so do it now. Right. And now you can. And it's, you know, you could you could you could say it's melancholic personality, I'm sure that's true, but it's also the willingness to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, "Hey, maybe you should reconsider that thing. Maybe right. you should think twice about what you said." To take the Greek word to repent, to rethink. Yes, absolutely right. And like to rethink. It, and putting to just, on the mind of Christ from Paul. Right. right? And, and 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 going and saying like Oh, you know what? Just because my dad didn't make this decision, yeah. I doesn't mean that uh, I do. I I am prohibited, or just yeah. because he did, your I don't have cool, to. Though. I know. I'm just using you. I know. I'm just. I just wanted. To, I just wanted to <laughs> pump dad, up your dad. My dad is. I cool. like Mickey. Me too. So yeah. Well, yeah. Th- this is interesting. That's why I think that mind and way. So we can mind and way. Oh, good. You know, that's nice. the that's really kind of that's the connective path between both of those things. Oh, I like that. That was a very uh, encapsulated way to put that. The mind and way. Mind and way. Mind and way. Mind and way. There's no article. Mind and way. Uh, Hey, awesome. Thanks, Father Peter. Thank you, Scott. That was really good. Well, we will be back next week, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you then. Yeah. Don't don't mind us. Oh, Uh, don't let us get in the way. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.